Hey, Champion Sharks, how's it going? This is T. Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. Go to our Patreon, give us money, $5 a month, patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. The more you contribute, the more you help us stay regular with the scheduling and whatever, you know, because everyone has to spend less time hustling to do other things. So it's always appreciated. And plus, you get double the episodes a week. And you also get access to all the back bonus episodes. So you open up about 80 hours, 80 episodes worth of back content. And with that out of the way, some of the other guests might be joining us uh, in a bit, but I'm getting a head start without them. We have with us Anders Lee. Say hello to the people. Hey, Anders Lee here. Yeah. Tell the people what you're about, where to find you, what they need to know about you. Uh, I can be found at Anders Lee here on Twitter.com. What I'm about is um, doing, having fun. I'm a haver of fun. I believe fun should be uh, equally accessed by all members of society. Uh, I'm on the podcast Pod Damn America, which you've been on, and uh, I do stand up, and I'm I have a solo show that I'm doing right now called uh, Dummy, uh, which is about the autistic spectrum, and I'm uh, did it in Edinburgh. This past last summer, and I'm going to be going back to Edinburgh, Scotland for the Fringe Festival. We're going to be doing it again uh, in August. And the show is still running, right? Yeah, we got two dates coming up uh, shortly here in New York uh, on the 23rd of March at Cloud City in Williamsburg. And it's going to be April 1st at the Footlight in Ridgewood. And uh, I am trying to book some more dates um, between, between now and August. Uh, so, yeah, if you're interested... Please, um, well, we can talk about it and then you'll see if you're interested and I'll tell you where to, to find out more, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I'll let you decide. And we're going to put in the show notes too. I've, I've seen it. It's very, it's very good. Thank you. And if you live in New York, you have plenty of time because by the time this airs, it will still be a couple of weeks out. You have no excuse not to see it. And I think socialism would go over way easier if people kind of sold it as that, like for everyone to have fun, like a way yeah. for everyone to have fun. You know... The show is uh, it's interesting because it's about autism, but it's also like a, about more than that. Like it's 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 like a history lesson, but it's also very very specific to you. Like what I liked about the show when I saw it, because I saw the show and I thought it was gonna be like the kind of typical one man show. And by typical, I don't mean that in a derogatory Neurotypical way. Neurotypical one man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, something can be typical, but still be very good. It's just the usual sure. format. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So it has nothing to do Formulaic. with like the actual yeah. quality of the thing, but I thought like typical as in a lot of, um, you know, confessional stuff, but you kind of have a history lesson in there too. Like it's actually like a lot of information. Like yeah. I was learning a lot in it, not just about the um, diagnosis, how it's treated, what it's about to consist of, but, the actual history of the whole diagnosis. Mm. And you also drill down to the intensely, almost uncomfortably personal with the show too, like down to how you masturbate, like, <laughs> like very open stuff. And it was a very effortless, like how you kind of went from the big picture to the little picture to the big picture. It was uh, like, my question first is the actual logistics of putting together the show. Like how long did it take to do it because it wasn't really a stream of consciousness feel or whatever. You could tell that work went into doing it. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, well, the the process initially of writing it, I'd say, was about uh, five to six months um, for the first sort of the first draft, I guess you'd say. Uh, I began in uh, 2017, that fall, and then I performed it for the first time, I think, in uh, February or March 2018. Um, but it's still a work in progress. I still consider it a, a living thing that uh, will go through some changes in the future, um, is going through some changes now. I'm not, not finished with it. That That's not to say if you come to see it, uh, it's not going to be like a completed thing. It'll be a completed uh, product, but it, um, it it's, it's very much alive and a thing that I plan on keep keeping on going for for a, a little while to to get it as good as I can hopefully get it. Uh, but yeah, you know, one of the most important things for me doing the show was to make make sure it wasn't just about me and my experiences, but uh, yeah, I had something to that that my experiences could kind of inform a, a broader point or discussion about this 
condition, not even a condition, this kind of phenomenon that people sort of take for granted, like what it actually is. And uh, so, yeah, I felt that it was really important for me to kind of dive into that and, and understand myself better, but also like the, the, the world at large. It's, it's interesting, right? Because I want to ask questions about the show, but I don't want to make you talk about a bunch of stuff that redundant of what's in the show. And then people go and it's mm. like, they're getting like a uh, repeat because I think it's kind of nice to go in there, not totally informed about what you're going to see. Yeah. Because that's the way I, I went in there. And right. That's the best when you see, when you like just see a picture, a still image from a movie and like, that looks cool. And you don't, you make it a point to not look up any of the words uh, yes. to promote it. Yeah. But we live in this culture now where like, People want the trailer to have the whole movie oh, that's before the worst, they yeah. uh, go go in there, and like I don't want that want this to be that. So I'm gonna try to like, hit on like certain interesting things that were in it, but not make you basically rehash the whole show in here. But one thing that I found interesting in it was um, Asperger and the Nazi connection. Yeah, that was uh, really interesting, and that's kind of one thing I wanted you to talk about because i kind of noticed like asperger and people saying both positive and negative it's been a kind of like a shorthand insult and a shorthand humble brag people just like like just using that diagnosis as a way to sound cool Mm -hmm. even in movies i don't know if you've noticed but they kind of almost make autism seem like a superpower like yeah people kind of solve crimes and it's like Things float across the screen. Like, basically, to me, <laughs> uh, fucking Sherlock Holt, that new Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch, I feel right. like they kind of, it's not said, but I think it's supposed to be like a stereotype of how people think autism works. Like, you know, he has these kind of tics and um, yeah. hyper focuses that helps him. Have you seen that? No, Sherlock? not the new one. Uh, is it, is it set in, is, does it have a contemporary setting or it's? It has, it has a contemporary setting and I'm, I'm kind of like stuck cause I don't want to recommend it cause it's very good. Like, like, um, right. You were telling me about this. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh yeah. you keep watch. Yeah. I've had that where it's like a show that's not great, but you keep watching it. Rescue me was a show like that for me. I watched the first three seasons was like, why? Um, I was like, they were Californication too. Like, yeah, same. That has, that show has that effect too. Yeah. It's I hate it's so it. sexual. I think. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is, but yeah. Yeah, that must have been what it is. It's actually a pretty easy answer. <laughs> but uh, I was, I was yeah, cur- that's true. Now that the rescue me is also is Sherlock sexual? Does no, he get it on? Well, you know what? Kind of. But this is what it is. Uh, you know what queer baiting is in uh, TV shows? Have you heard that term? When they say queer- like sort of a uh, they allude to like in Xena, like where there was like yes, allusions to her being a it. lesbian. Okay. Yes, and like the early seasons of the show Hannibal, but I can't even call that queer baiting because by the end, it was basically, they were beating you over the head with it. But Sherlock does it in that it's very, like they know the fans want to see it. So they really like dangle it in front of the fans, but they clearly have no intention of ever going there, you Mm -hmm. know? And uh, so it's sexual like in that aspect, but it gets so stupid because you can tell they're making the show for people to make gifs of and put on Tumblr. Like, you know, Mm. so... They try to have them like kind of pose in a certain way or have a lingering look. And you could tell like, okay, you, when they started the show, I don't think they, they intended this. But I think when Tumblr happened, they realized, because they, they do shows like this now. They look at what the fans are doing and try to calibrate show to pander. Yeah. So um, I think they saw like a big contingent of the um, queer fan base were doing all this fan fiction about it and making gifs. And they were like, oh, let's not lean into this. And so sexual in that aspect, but other okay. than that, and, but is it kind of doing the same thing with autism, little tism baiting, like they heavily imply that yeah. Sherlock might be on the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. They might have even have made it explicit at mm. one point, you know. Yeah. But if it's not explicit, they're really kind of uh, baiting with that. And I wanted to kind of get your impression on how you feel pop culture in general handles. Yeah. Uh. Well, it is more common now to have autistic characters and kind of use it as uh, like a, a superpower somewhat um, portray it that way. Um, I, there's a show on Netflix, atypical. Uh, I couldn't get through. I think I watched the first episode, but uh, what you see in, in that is sort of reinforcing kind of the stereotypes, I guess, of, of what autism uh, is supposed to be. And in a way that's also kind of reinforcing other shitty ideas about uh, gender um, that, you know, in the first episode, he, he kind of finds out that, oh, if you're a jerk to women, then that's how you uh, get them to, to fall in love with you mm. or... Um, the in the instance of uh, her, his sister, there's like this this. I mean, it's 
uh, some non-autistic characters in the show. There's also a shitty gender dynamic that, that we see, like this guy's just going to keep uh, hitting on his sister and trying to hang out with her until one day she uh, falls for him, um, which, you know, isn't unique to, to that show or to portrayals about autism. But I think, it, you know... Is, is, well, it, is, it, is it an autistic character who's hitting on his sister? Or? No, it's okay. a neuro, uh, neurotypical guy. But like, you know men of all kinds will watch that show and think like, oh, that's how you're supposed to behave. And uh, in real life, it doesn't happen as smoothly as in as in shows like that. Uh, but but I think uh, classically sort of the portrayal of an autistic person is a, is sort of a hyper male person. And that's what Asperger thought uh, that autism was an excess of masculinity. So you have these men who are like hyper intelligent, but also struggle with socializing just because they have, they have so much manliness um, that they don't, you know, have time for things like compassion or, or emotional intelligence. But you are seeing, I haven't watched this yet, but there's, I know a Scandinavian, a lot of, it is kind of hard for me to watch a lot of uh, media that portrays autistic people just, you know, for a lot of uh, complicated personal reasons. But um, there, I know there is a, I believe a Scandinavian show where there's a woman who's a detective who who has autism or is diagnosed with autism. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's, I guess, good that uh, we're showing that there's different ways of functioning cognitively and different types of uh, intelligence and that should be respected and accepted. But I, yeah, I, I take issue, of course, with, you know, reinforcing certain ideas about what autism is and and what masculinity is and uh you know this goes kind of to the heart of of my show I, I at the end of the day i think autism is really just a a diagnosis and um people are people and there's really nothing that's connecting all these disparate dots for what what makes a person autistic and what makes another person not autistic like there's no essential quality to it you know what you mentioned about asperger and the extra male thing have you heard of a Simon Baron Cohen. Yeah, yeah, he kind of believes in that too, isn't that? His like his recent research has been he's been trying to legitimize that extra male theory of. Uh, I didn't know it originated right. with Asperger, but to a degree, a lot of people still kind of uh, believe that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people still think it's a testosterone thing, like the you know the fetus or whatever has like yeah has exposure to testosterone at at an early stage of development and that kind of inhibits things. But in general, like you feel like the whole labeling thing. One of uh, the things the show about is that the whole labeling thing is not helpful to the people who have like. Here's a question: If the labeling thing is detrimental, then can you say somebody has autism? Like, what do you say? Uh, I th I try not to. I try not to say people are autistic. I say people are diagnosed with autism. Uh, I, that's what I say about myself. I don't identify as autistic. I I do. You know, kind of undeniably, I have to identify as someone who is uh, diagnosed with it, whether I like it or not. But I try to be. I, I'm not against all diagnoses, and I'm also not totally. I think if you were to take away the autism diagnosis now, there could be a lot of unintended consequences with that. I think it does a lot of good for people. It gives people access to resources that they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, I was just reading this book about how this woman had only found found out recently um, she's had a, a kid who's special needs for a long time, and she only found out recently that uh, she could get free transportation to go to and from her kid's doctor's appointments. And that's, um, you know, but my, my answer is like, it, that should just be the case anyway. If you're like yeah. a low-income person or just anybody, you should have the ability to take your kid to the doctor. So I think it is um necessary especially if you know you live in a place like the united kingdom where it's not only national health care but the not only national health insurance but na national health care uh it's it's public at every at every point um where if you're having sensory issues you go to the doctor they do give you this diagnosis but they also say like hey maybe you should try wearing these jeans have you tried wearing uh, using a weighted blanket at night you'll get all these resources that you wouldn't get without that diagnosis uh, so that's very important but on the other hand you know you look at the united states where 
before the Affordable Care Act, autism was seen as a pre-existing condition. So it was actually, if you had that diagnosis, it was used to deny you uh, health care. So I think at best, the diagnosis can be kind of a band-aid for larger problems that we have to to address, like, you know, having full full health care, having comprehensive child care that, that looks at kids as individuals and, and figures out what's going on with them in, um, in terms of sensory processing, in terms of cognition, and is able to uh, address them in, in specific ways in, in a way that I think uh, labels like autism can kind of make that harder to do. It can be if you have like a one size fits all approach, that's more difficult to to get kids or adults the, the, the resources and the treatments that they need. Now, how do how do other people who were diagnosed with autism feel about your take on things? And the reason I ask is because one thing I've noticed is that with the way identity goes nowadays, mm-hmm. one of the things that I say about identity politics is that the definition of identity has expanded. Like mm-hmm. people like to turn different things into identity. And there's definitely a lot of people who lean the total opposite way of you and they very much lean into autistic as an identity to the point they um, are very big into policing how people talk about it in a way that's not unlike how some people talk about other oppressed identities. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they want certain advocacy around it. They want to control how it's uh, mentioned in the discourse. You even kind of talked about that a little bit in the article I saw you write, where you said people were kind of acting like you were the Rachel Dolezal of autism because yeah. you weren't seeming outwardly artistic enough to them. And that's, I'm like, wow, that's a very identity politics way to um, see autism. Like, you know, and have you gotten any pushback from people like that about your show or just when you describe? what the show is about or your views and how that's gone. I have a little bit. Uh, there was someone in, in Edinburgh who came to see it last summer and wrote a very uh, critical article. Um, he uh, objected to, to, I mean, he kind of objected to uh, something I said earlier, which is that, you know, if we just do away with the label, you know, that is, that is not, that's not a good idea to just do away with it tomorrow. I think we, I do think we can get rid of Asperger's, uh, but autism more generally, that's going to take some more time. I understand that. But yeah, I do think there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on with, uh, with any identity. Uh, this is the one I'm, I guess, the most familiar with, but, um, you know, it's interesting because there are people who identify as autistic who haven't gotten the diagnosis and in, and some people are very tolerant of that they say like okay we we you know either we trust doctors or you know we, we don't have to trust doctors all the time so if you that's the way you feel and you have the, these demonstrable issues you can be considered autistic uh but then you know there's people like me who you know i really don't as an adult anyway have that many pressing issues uh that other people do who are on the quote unquote spectrum. Um, so I, you know, do, I don't know if I need this, this label. I guess you can have it if, if, if you, uh, are somebody who's, who's struggling with, um, sensory issues or social skills or whatever, like you can take my diagnosis. I'm not really using it for much, but yeah, it's, it's difficult because, you know, I do think that autism is in many ways more nebulous than a lot of the other identities that we've kind of created politics around, you know, uh, race obviously is, is, uh, I think a fluid thing, more of a fluid thing than some people let on, but it's still, you know, a, a physical thing. Yeah. Autism is, is entirely subjective. The way it's diagnosed has always been subjective. So, you know, for me to come along and say like, this doesn't exist, it does offend some people. But I think if we look at the, if we take a step back, and I think this really does go for for identity politics in general, we look at what these identities are, and we really have to ask, do are these things that we are trying to transcend or things that we're trying to reinforce? Um, and a big part of my thinking on this comes from Asad Haider, who wrote uh, Mistaken Identity. And it, it, I, I started reading that actually around the time I was, I was writing this. And he, really went through a lot of these arguments about uh, identity politics and and the way it's evolved uh, over the past few decades and how originally it was yeah it was supposed to be uh, an effort to transcend identity to 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 recognize that uh, labels like man woman black white these don't come from within necessarily they're, they're you know subject formation there's 
a society that labels people a certain way. And I think the same goes for autism. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I really think, uh, especially on neurological issues, on issues of processing information, we're not doing ourselves any favors by limiting who gets to talk about that because everybody has issues with communication. Everybody has issues with learning. And, you know, as I say in my show, uh, we, we to, to say that there's a group of these people who are neurotypical, like, who is that? Who, who are these neurotypical people? Like, that it's actually, it's a pretty small minority of people who are actually served by the system, the educational system, yeah. the economic system. It, so, it, it, yeah, like the platonic idea of neurotypical. Yeah. You're like, reinforcing like, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but how many people actually fall into that, that, you know, are just across the board, like a, like a character on a movie? And, you know, you know that, that, you know, all those, like, uh, American Pie type movies, always like the, the the guy was just like you know perfect it's like probably yeah. in real life one percent of the population the guy gets straight a's but he's also like the captain of the football team right and he's also like uh has a bunch of friends and he can date any girl he wants at will but he's, he's also v- like a chill dude like you know like the very weird people those yeah. are very strange unusual people if anything they're probably more the weirdos absolutely or, yeah, yeah the anomalies right uh, so, yeah, that's why I think, you know, we really have to get back to universals and think about, like, what kind of education system do we want for everybody? Not just one that is best, that that serves autistic people better, but uh, creates a different kind of world where we don't need the label autistic, where everybody uh, can learn the way that they want to learn or can learn. And a lot of it's weird because I feel like autism has become something that, in a way, has become uh, cool, but also overlapping with like the word nerd like you know so it's yeah. just like the same way you have people saying like i'm such a nerd i i love star wars and it's like okay that's like a trillion multi-trillion dollar franchise like you're is it trillion already wow i mean i'm oh, talking shit. about if you go by from the time it was first made like 77 to now it had to it had to have been like made that much by now i'm guessing between merchandise yeah i mean i'm fast and loose with numbers so <laughs> don't don't hold me don't okay. hold me to it but i mean they spent a they've made a lot of money over the yeah, past yeah. the past three actually four decades now and it's like i feel like autism is the same way i'm gonna ask what might be like a strange question right but you know you said like transcending race and you know the physical aspects of it but i think what makes identity politics hard to transcend or whatever is that identities aren't just a physical thing but they're also like they develop cultures around it mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so for example like with Kamala Harris, some people might try to talk about her phenotype and say, is she black or not? And then people will say, of course she's black, but she's 50% black, but that's still, you know, black. But the people who be criticizing her will be like, no, we're not talking about her phenotype. We're not talking about her DNA. We're talking about, is she culturally black? Like, does she grow up identifying as black? You yeah. know, does she understand like what certain words mean, what certain experiences mean, you know, what music that she grew up listening to? And do you think that autism has developed a culture around it? And if so, like, how would you dis- de- uh, define that culture? Yeah, I think it has. And it's one that I really don't fit in very well at all. Uh, I can't do your taxes. You know, I'm terrible with math. (laughs) You could easily convince me that Star Wars has made uh, a quadrillion dollars. Like, I'm not a sci-fi person. Um, I, I don't read manga. Yeah, there is... A, a culture that's developed around it and it's you know one that is more you know it's a type of person sort of this this not phenotype but i guess the uh, the autistic subject is really somebody who's living under neoliberalism you know somebody who's been uh, isolated from other people who lives an atomized sort of life and um you know is probably good with numbers and can kind of uh, thinks more along those lines than than emotional ones. And, you know, for that reason, I do appreciate that there is a sort of a culture that's formed around autistic identity. And I think we should celebrate that. But uh, again, we can do it without this label, which really, you know, like a lot of the other labels and and identities is is rooted in a a pretty awful system like eugenics that that's really where autism comes from is is the eugenics craze of the early 20th century um just as you know races evolved from all other power relations that uh, i don't think we really want to repeat like the doing podcasting right one thing that's been interesting about it is from doing podcasting and going to people's live shows or getting like plugged into like the whole kind of Brooklyn socialist thing. I was really taken aback by how prevalent 
self-diagnoses of autism were. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of seemed like seeing people, I started thinking, I think some people are just a little bit weird, but they found something that explains it for them. Like, you know, yeah. I, I think somehow just being weird is... um now there's a problem but if you have an actual medical condition now suddenly not only does it make sense and it's not quote unquote your fault not saying any of it is ever somebody's fault but now you're just automatically plugged into a community Mm -hmm. and that's something i found interesting too like i want to know if you've noticed that too that there's kind of and this kind of was going the culture uh question like it's almost incentivized in a way there's some incentives to seeing yourself as autistic and gravitating uh to the label like almost like a sense of belonging you almost automatically uh fit into yeah it's cathartic uh for some people and i think there is a really big difference between people who are diagnosed as adults where it does feel cathartic it gives you this reason why um your life has been difficult or, or different from other people's uh there's a big difference between them and people like me who were diagnosed as as kids where uh you know it wasn't something that i told people until I started doing the show. Like it was something I was pretty deeply ashamed of uh, because of all the stigmas that that were attached to it, especially ones that, you know, are a little harder to deal with when you're a kid than an adult. But yeah, you know, people use it in sort of a tongue-in-cheek way and I I don't mind that. People uh, can self-diagnose or whatever. But, you know, when people, I, I and I do hear a lot, you know, go on Reddit and on the on the uh, autism sub forum, you know, just talking to people, other see other comedians. Uh, I don't, I can't tell you how many bits I've seen have been people, usually men, saying like, I think I might be autistic. Like, yeah, I have all yeah. these problems, and uh, I just want to say to them, like, that's not you. Like, that's not your. That's not a problem with you. I mean, you maybe you're a little different from yeah. from what's expected, but. Uh, you you have trouble. These are external things. These are systems. You know, you you're having trouble with with women and with dating. Um, you know, maybe you could do a little self improvement, but it's the patriarchy. Get mad at the patriarchy. All these sexually frustrated men. I think there's a huge opportunity to to galvanize them against gender against gender roles in the patriarchy uh same goes for for capitalism because you see a lot of people who are want seek out that diagnosis because they can't hold a job one thing i wondered too i saw you showing upper east side in manhattan yeah and the stereotype of the upper east side you know it's a very you know what upper east side felt like to me it felt like it felt like queens or maybe some parts of like south boston or something if all the people who made it big out of those places like you know, you know what i mean so like yeah if you if you were from like because uh i spent some time growing up in long island like a lot of upper east side feels like long island if you know yeah everybody who made it big and was able to move to manhattan they formed right. their own colony in uh you know so it's like yeah there's sort of an ethnic sense there like the, yeah. you know, the bar i performed was an irish, irish yeah a lot bar. of irish bars yeah. a lot of and i'm like doing something there has to be like way different than doing the same show in Bushwick where a lot of people tongue in cheek identify as autistic or genuinely identify as autistic. Like they've been, you know, diagnosed, just have a whole different view of it. I was wondering like between Edinburgh to Upper East Side to like downtown Manhattan, like what has your experience been with different audiences embracing uh, the show and the material? Has Has there been a difference or is it basically the same reaction throughout. I mean, I don't know that uh, that show was the best sample size of the Upper East Side because it was kind of like a performer uh, performer DIY festival. Uh, but in Scotland, I, I got a lot of uh, older couples. Uh, sometimes they'd bring adult kids. And uh, a lot of times they they had a lot of parents with, with people who were on the spectrum. Um, and that was really moving to be able to talk to some of them. Um, and there were some people who who were, uh, I think, diagnosed themselves who came. Um, I remember this. there's this one guy who was taking notes, and I thought he was a critic, so I yeah. talked to him afterwards, like, oh, who do you write for? And he's like, I'm writing for myself. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, in, uh, in Bushwick, um, it's been... Uh, I, yeah, I try, my goal with this is to get younger people, get kind of the people we've been describing who go around thinking like, am I autistic? Am I not autistic? Uh, cause I mean the one man show sort of, or the, the solo show format in general kind of is, is more popular among, among older people. Yeah. Um, so that's been most of the audience. Uh, I think most in Bushwick, yeah, I think in Bushwick, you're going to get a lot of that audience that you're aiming for. Hopefully. Think, yeah. 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 I totally think you're going to get that. Like if you had to say you had a goal 
for this show like you know if you had to give you like your um succinct like goal that you want to accomplish with the show and it could be anything whether it's like get a special out of it help people like like what would you say your goal your top goal with this show is i mean my top goal is in this i guess is sort of like uh egoistic or something but my top goal is really to change the conversation and uh i don't know if i'm able to do that one person is probably going to be uh not just me i'm um I mean, there's a book that I cite pretty heavily in the show, Asperger's Children, which makes some of these same points. Um, so I guess, yeah, my goal is to be a part of um, a group of people who are trying to, to move the discussion forward on, on this issue, because I think we we aren't talking about it the right way. And I think we need to, to rethink some pretty basic things with it. Uh, as far as personally, uh, yeah, I would love to have it online somewhere. Um, that's, I guess, my sort of my grand plan is to get get it good enough and popular enough to where I could like film it somewhere and have a full house and then uh, put it on like YouTube or Vimeo, have people pay a couple bucks. But uh, yeah, a lot of work from here to there. One thing that the show really um, illuminated for me, I think this is the way I could talk about it without giving away too much. I mean, you're free to choose how much you want. You want. You can spill the beans with it. It's not okay. like a, you know, spoiler yeah, yeah. type of show, you know. But 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 I do like I was dead the whole time. Yeah, I, I do like the surprises of it though. Like it's like it's yeah. kinda cool. Like I had no idea what it actually was like. All the alternate theories or things they had you go through to treat you. Like it seemed like there was a lot of trial and error. Like like some of the stuff sounded like they really tried that, like just a few decades ago. Like, you know, it was very because when you get used to the people who kind of just use it as a quirky self-diagnosis, you mm-hmm. just are used to hearing just like, you know, oh, I watched a lot of like one type of TV show. Like, you know, I did a lot of this stuff. But in your show kind of had that, like, you know, your own little personal idiosyncrasies. But mm-hmm. I don't think I had ever heard somebody actually talk about like the battery of treatments that you might have to go through. And uh, that I thought was a really enlightening part of the show. And uh, if you want to like expand on that or, you know, has that changed for people who get diagnosed with it now? Is it still pretty much the same thing? How has it evolved that you know of? I think a lot of the treatments and practices I mentioned are still are still done. Um, yeah, I talked about homeopathy, uh, which I have mixed feelings about, but I, I experienced a lot of as a kid. Um, can, can you uh, explain that for people who might not know what homeopathy is? Um, well, it's a complicated uh, field, but basically the way I understand it is they try to capture... They, they, I mean, they have an almost therapy-like session with you, and in some ways, it's it's actually very good to to just just the talking aspect of it. They try to really get to the bottom of whatever's wrong with you, and then it becomes up to the individual homeopath to kind of find the right, uh, very hyper-specific like chemical thing for you to go on um like it's similar it's actually kind of similar to immunizations as i understand it so they like they find things that are harming you and then they try to um put them in a tiny tiny capsule um that you can't eat for 15 minutes before and after you take and you take that and you do it regularly and then it builds up you know immunity to whatever your issue is and it's not scientifically like verified it's not like something uh I would depend on for, you know, cancer or something like that. But um, it, it it does, you know, th- there are times, and I don't know how much it's psychosomatic or not, but there yeah. have been times where it really has helped. Like I used to have an issue going on to airplanes where I would get sinus pain, like extreme sinus pain. And I uh, started taking homeopathy before, to the homeopathic remedy before every time I went on an airplane and now it's not an issue. Uh, so I don't know, maybe that, that was, there's a good chance that was all in my head. But, you know, there are people, the, the people though who are, are really dedicated to it, like they're, I mean, say, I don't, they could be completely crazy, but there are uh, homeopaths I've known who, you know, they really do believe in what they're doing. Um, I had a friend's father who was, uh, a homeopath and um, he actually was really trying to find out about depression um, and uh, unfortunately he ended up um, committing suicide but he he made it a point to not get any treatment and I, I think he wasn't even taking homeopathy at that point he was just like studying as much about depression as he could and then uh, just couldn't take it but hmm. yeah so it's, it's a really complicated subject but uh, I've, I've I, I can see where why people don't want to 
fuck with it but uh it does it does help some people what would you say was the most helpful of all the things that they had you try and what do you find to be like the most like the least helpful the most barbaric out of uh the things you tried in your history with this um i the most helpful uh was i think getting me a yoga ball just little things like that really yeah like um when I, I don't know who suggested this or if i think so a doctor suggested this yeah but i would crash into furniture i would just like run into furniture i like i had uh what is called sensory integration dysfunction which is really just you know you're kind of hyper and you like you like touching you know you like uh you need to jump into things and and roll around and kind of get dirty and uh that was you know kind of a problem we had a, we had a small uh condominium um when i was a kid so we got a, a yoga ball that i would take into the basement and just bounce on for hours. And that was really helpful. Um, I don't know that there's anything like really barbaric per se, but there was stuff that I pretty confident did nothing. Um, I took a, uh, a, a, an audio therapy session thing where they would, I would have, we would have to drive two hours south um, to actually to Langley, Virginia, where the CIA is. And I would sit in a chair and listen to Bob Marley on like these special headphones that were supposed to fix my ears. Um, wow. Yeah, I, it did nothing. <laughs> uh, and there's some, there were times where I took actually with homeopathy, I took it and it once it kind of made me uh, sort of like I was drunk um, Any particular reason that you know of for Bob Marley, or did you just pick? Like, just thinking about, was it like beats per minute? Was it something? <laughs> like, I just know how they came up with that. Did it just have to be any song, or yeah, it was, was any it song? Okay. But it was like uh, that's not the idea that maybe there's something specific about Bob Marley that yeah, helps. Uh, I think autism. the person who ran it was just old, and they thought that was still popular. So that's probably why. But. That's it. That's too funny. Last thing I'd like to um, ask, and then I just wanted to talk about some stuff in the news, right? The show, I'm hoping I don't make it sound too much like it's just like a... Um info dump because it's not it's a very comedic storytelling show like it's very yeah, it is it's, funny it's I very <laughs> it's very it's and i'm very working funny. on making it that's kind of my task now is making it funnier but it is already yes thank you very funny yeah yeah it's it's funny it has uh laughs in it like you won't go in there and just be like educated it's not it's not that type of and i want to make sure that uh this interview doesn't make it seem that way and i was wondering both within the show and stand-up comedy like when you were um, discussing your um, issues socially with being diagnosed with autism, I kept thinking like between doing this show and just being a stand-up comic in general, it seems on paper like a nightmare profession for what you uh, describe. But at the same time, so many comics talk about being either officially or self-diagnosing with autism. I was wondering, uh, in stand-up comedy or just comedy in general, like a great job or a bad job for someone diagnosed with uh, autism. On paper, it seems like it would be bad, but in practice, it seems there's enough people drawn to it that I must be uh, wrong to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends. I mean, one of the classic tropes about autism is, of course, that uh, if you have autism, means you can't read social cues. And I have a whole bit about how, like, that it just is not, I have the exact opposite problem. Um, so for someone like, I think both uh, ends of that spectrum, so to speak, uh, have um, pros and cons. So if you... Um, it's a quick question. By having yeah. the opposite problem, what do you mean? Do you mean like you're overly tuned into social yes. cues? Yes, yeah, I'm oh, oversensitive okay. to... Yeah, I'm always reading into just every little facial tick and everything. Got it. And that that has advantages with comedy because you're you can read a crowd pretty well, uh, but then you get a little too um, in your head about it. So you know, one person frowning can kind of throw off your set if you're that sensitive. Um, but on the other side, it's in many ways it seems like it's pretty nice, and I kind of envy people who are just able to just get up there and do their thing and not worry at all about how how people are, are judging them um but of course that if that's makes it difficult to actually adjust and uh relate to people yeah but you know when you're doing stand-up really the only like 
barometer if, if you're doing well is are people laughing uh whereas with a, a solo sh- a solo show um you would think it would be easier you know you just don't uh have to worry about any th- any of that and just do your thing but you actually have to to work a little harder because you have to you know get laughs at the funny moments but you also have to check in with people to see if they're engaged at the not funny moments and you know i have um spent a lot of time on stage like gauging people's eye contact to see if they're kind of glazed, they have a glazed overlook or if they're really um, interested in what I'm saying. Like, I think we've discussed the show a lot and I think the best thing is to just go see it. And Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll put the information in show notes. If you're in New York, definitely uh, check it out. And I want to know, like, have you been, this is a total like segue, but yeah, being on like Pod Save America, you know, guys always talking Pod about like, America. sorry, Pod Damn America, <laughs> my bad. Uh, but actually breaking news. <laughs> uh, one of the boys now changing my name to John. The, uh, you know, we had a good time when I, when I was on there and stuff. And we were talking about like uh, current stories and stuff. But the story that I'm currently fixated on is this, uh, school scam thing mm-hmm. like you know i'm still like uh looking at it and the idea that they spent half a million dollars at becky from full house on uh, Lori lachlan and massimo the the clothing designer um for their for their daughter five hundred thousand dollars to say that she was a recruit to the rowing team and neither and neither of the daughters uh row oh wow and the value of the bribing didn't really seem to make any sense I mean, like five to be so rich that you could spend half a million just like to me this is going to be the biggest boon to american socialism that <laughs> has come along like in a while like hopefully yeah 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 it's it's um the daughter is someone like i don't both the parents didn't go to college right and they did phenomenally well, but they were obsessed with the daughter going to college. Mm. That fascinated me. That, uh, like, what do you think college is? That even people who were like fabulously wealthy, like, they were able to not go to college and get rich enough that they could send, like, they, they could blow $500,000 just to get the daughter into uh, USC. Like, why would college be this thing that they would be fixated with the parents well yeah i think it's a status thing i think it's uh sort of something they probably fantasized about and if you have that much money you have an opportunity to kind of bend reality uh if you have 500 grand laying around then you can just change your daughter uh maybe not actually but um at least the way that she's perceived and um yeah i think if you're that rich and kind of delusional uh then you're not that concerned about like getting to know your kid and what she wants to do it's more like this is what i want for you and uh it doesn't whether or not you want it doesn't really matter i have the power to make it happen like one of the things i thought was interesting is like um when i you know, being like a second generation immigrant, like your parents from another country and they never went to college and you get to be the first one to um, go to college in your family and stuff. There's this idea of like, you know, they want you to do it because they never got to do it. And if they did it, they would have been able to make more money or whatever. It's kind of like an economic idea to it. Like, you know, you can get a career and stuff, but these kids were going to be um, rich anyway. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah, and yeah. the girl already had like, burgeoning career as a it sounds like almost silly to say but i've come to accept this is a burgeoning career in 2019 of a youtube influencer like Mm -hmm. she had endorsement (laughs) deals whatever and you can spin that stuff off into like a lot of stuff like you know like to me like they could just put that five hundred thousand dollars and put it toward her entertainment career or whatever but yeah no they were obsessed specifically with college and it had nothing to do with making money this girl's already making money on her own she even said all she wanted to do was do um youtube and i'm very like it's just very weird to me i like do you do you have any thoughts on that like what like what are your thoughts on where that where that comes from like yeah well i I, th- I mean, I've been seeing a lot of discussion now on social media, a lot of jokes about like college as a concept, what that means, what it should mean. Um, and to many people, of course, it's like a status symbol going to college uh, and a sign of like affluence. Um, but it seems like in this case, they had that uh, without it, irrespective of, of the college. So, you know, it's it, 
like to a lot of people, if you're, you know, growing up in, in this era, in this age, like college almost like doesn't make sense, I would think. Like if, if you're a person who's like tuned into, you know, being an Instagram, YouTube influencer, like why would anyone go to college? Um, and the, big thing, the big thing I feel like the story showed me is like I grew up in a time where and from a social class where people thought I want to go to college to uh, get rich. And now it's like, people seem to be like, I want to go to college to show that I'm rich. Like, you know, yeah. so it's almost like it's a status symbol to show you've made it more than something that you do to make it for a lot of people. Right. Because we've made it a luxury to get an education and think critically. Um, and it's so expensive too now. It's like ridiculous. Right. Yeah. It's something that, you know, you can only a, an elite few group of people can do actually be able to think that way. Uh, be challenged to think in a different way. Um, and that's why I th think you see the growth of people like Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs, who's saying like, hey, we don't need, and, and no, one, no one needs a four-year degree. Let's like, let's do vocational training and stuff. Um, you know, how much of that he actually believes in, it's hard to tell. But like, yeah, I think we need to, I, well, an interesting thing, I think, is if we do move in a more socialist direction and we do end up getting the four-year degree free, uh, having a free college tuition at, at state universities is what's going to happen with, with grad school. What's going to happen with, because the, the argument that people like Bernie Sanders are making so far is like an economistic one. And it's, it's one that's hard to deny if you're a market-based person, he's saying like, we want to have a competitive workforce to do that. We have to have free public tuition, like every other industrialized country, like the U S used to have, but you take a step beyond that. Like, okay, what about people who aren't going to use their degree for anything that like um, furthers economic growth, you know, and that's a discussion I think we have to have. Like, there's yeah. there's life that's worth living that's not just about reproducing. Yeah, and and it's just so weird. Like, I really want to know what college is now. Like, uh, why is uh, Emma Watson going to like uh, whatever? Brown she, was it? Yeah, or she left. I don't know. Uh, I forget which. But a lot of these people go to these schools, and it's like, okay, going there. But apparently you're getting something different out of it than like, you know, right. the kid from the inner city or, you know, like South Boston or got a, like a scholarship there or something like, you know, there's there's um like this made me reassess a lot of stuff. And I think it's going to be a pretty interesting. um It's going to be a pretty interesting case. And yeah. Megan McCain was like the idea of nepotism, the idea of <laughs> all this shit going on. And you see it in front of you like all all the time. And. This thing just was really like mind boggling. Like the the money that they're using to bribe is the money that people are hoping they'll be able to save over a lifetime. Like people are clamoring to go to like uh, yeah. college and stuff. And it was a real wake up call to think that you can waste that. There's people who can afford to waste this much money on a useless credential. Yeah, yeah. It makes you wonder, like, what's what's her charity like? Like, you know, if you're spending five hundred thousand. <laughs> on just and some people said that she might have been able to get into that school anyway like it wasn't something that was out of the realm of possibility for her like, like without all this really like she had the grades to do it that's why or maybe I, it's a different kid i think for her kid that's what some people were claiming that they think that it was more to just want to guarantee it like it was like it wasn't so much like a miracle they were trying to work it was like we just want that extra edge to make sure. Like, we, yeah. we just want to leave no stone unturned. There was also, like, uh, Felicity Huffman and some other people that were saying, like, a lot of these conservatives, um, just the other day, uh, the lady from Quillette, that crazy publication, uh, Claire Lehman or something, she's all into, like, race and IQ and, you know. Oh, um, God. Um, yeah, like. Uh, she white? Yeah. Yeah, she's white. She's conservative. I think she might be Australian. She's from some other country, uh, but she has like terrible views and she's always about like meritocracy and stuff like that. Yeah. Just today or so, she uh, tweeted about why standard standardized testing is the way to go. What, what she's really trying to say is uh, because white people do the best standardized testing, she's one of those people who always tries to reverse engineer everything to justify inequality and perpetuating um, any policies that keep inequality going. But what you had to say is unfair, unequal outcomes, but they're the natural outcome of fair practices. Like people are supposed to be unequal. And yeah. And uh, if you apply uh, rules fairly, you know, fairness is working by the unequal outcomes you get, because some people are supposed to be the overclass and people are supposed to be the underclass. And w one of the things she was trying to say to that respect was um, 
standardized testing is the most fair, unbiased way to mm. to uh, rank a society. And it's not white people's fault that they happen to do better at it. And one of the things that came out today, the same day she tweeted this, was that Felicity Huffman and others are paying like $15,000 a person for people to pretend to be their kids and take the standardized test. So, <laughs> well, those those tests anyway. I mean, it's it's interesting because there's actually during the eugenics craze I was talking about earlier, there was um, a big movement to sterilize people who were low IQ, and the testing that they did to do, they had basically everybody who was conscripted in the World War One take this test in the U.S. and it was supposed to show you know your intelligence and your worth as a human and whether or not you had the right to repopulate the earth. Of course, the, res- the results were like divided on racial lines. Uh, and, and if you, but if you look at the questions, they were all like, this is only stuff that a like middle class, the upper class white dude would know. Yeah. So like the, the, the questions rigged from the get go, you know, and the fact that you need a, I mean, not that this is necessarily the same test, but I think that is, is not an, uh, an unfair criticism of, of standardized testing today, that it is skewed towards a certain demographic. And on top of that, you need a tutor. Yeah. This is a, this is not a legitimate criteria for exactly. But even resources, yeah, but even the so-called like overclass that Colette and Lehman are like, you know, saying, they just happen to do the best because they are the best like even tutors aren't enough like because i thought that the tutoring thing you know and then and i thought okay they're taking the test they're doing the best on it but it's culturally biased toward them yeah. and they have the resources to do the most prepping but i had no idea that there was actually this many people nationwide just straight up paying whole other people to take the test for them getting away with it like somebody has to be helping them like as far as the people administering the test like you know because to me you can't get away with it on that national scale unless somebody on the inside turning their head um yeah the other way it's it's um it's some wild shit i don't yeah know. and especially this week when the uh the, i think there's some epstein documents that are getting get unsealed so in the same week you're gonna have two elite scandals what what are um his documents about? I know about his general thing with the island and the uh, all the yeah and his private jet, his private sex jet that uh, I think Trump and Bill Clinton and just all these oh so when they when them. they unseal them a whole bunch of uh oh I see what you mean when they potentially uns- I mean maybe yeah. that won't happen but probably won't it'll probably get some lawyer gonna jump in front of a car to make sure it doesn't happen but yeah i think um one thing that a lot of people are uh, waking up to is that there is such a con artist uh society like a with the upper class like you know this idea of meritocracy is uh it's a joke it's yeah. it's all a joke it's there's just like a giant mafia of people who have their omerta where they just <laughs> do not tell on each other and just um scam for each other because you know i think about the Lori lachlan story and all that i don't think about how bad this story is what i think about is for this one how many dozens have gone uncaught like you know what yeah. i'm saying yeah like because i think a lot of people probably have a reassuring thought that this was one audacious crime that was tried and it was you know caught like you know we caught it late but we caught it but i think probably this, this is the exception the one that got caught you know what i'm saying hmm. i am i think and we might never yeah, know this but, probably yeah probably goes pretty deep yeah yeah or maybe they just got a little too greedy and went a little um too too far with there and there's a lot of other cases where they don't go that far so let us know what you're plugging any final uh things you want to say about Anything we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, if Again, if you're in New York, uh, March 23rd at 8 at Cloud City in Williamsburg and uh, Ridgewood at the Footlight on April 1st at 7. Um, but if you are not in New York um, and you want to see Dummy, I'm trying to set up some dates in, in different cities. Uh, so go ahead and go to Facebook at Dummy-Solo-Show and give that a like. And uh, let me know if you want me to come to your, to your town and I'll do my best. Awesome. Um, one last thing. Do you have any ideas uh, brewing for any second shows or third shows you want to do, like topic-wise? Uh, restless Leg Syndrome. That's my next one. Really? Is no, it, just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, if you can pull that off, that'll be interesting. <laughs> and I'll run Restless Leg. <laughs> I haven't thought that far ahead. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I, I want to get Dummy really, really good. And uh, then, we'll, then we'll see. All right. Sounds good. So uh, thanks, Anders. And everyone, check it out. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, no problem, man. Be good.